And I mentioned this morning that uh, we're privileged to have my father-in-law with us, and I'm going to ask him to come on up and have a seat with us. And uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about his life and ministry and what he's done and things he's seen, and um, let him share a little bit about. Uh, I mentioned this morning you weren't you weren't here, obviously. Obviously. Yeah, and uh, I talked a little bit about uh, how passions in your life can drive you, and that. Uh, one of the reasons you continue to go to Brazil is just because it's a passion in your life. You feel alive there. Right. So kind of how that develops, we'll talk about that a little bit. But um, well, I told him we were at the house a few minutes ago and told him that most of you probably don't know his story very well of uh, how he ended up being a pastor and where he's been before he ended up in Jackson. And so uh, I thought we'd just start with you tell him a little bit about um, how you ended up being a pastor and came to that later in life and uh, how the Lord kind of led you there and then Maybe about the, the churches that you've been a part of since then. Well, God has a sense of humor. I'm a Kentuckian at heart. And uh, I've been in Tennessee now 28 years, and I have a grave site, so I guess I'm going to be in Tennessee for a long, long time till Jesus comes. So he kind of has a... But uh, God blessed me with great parents, uh, with a great home. I was involved as a child, as a youth, in uh, Mount Zion Church there in McCracken County in Kentucky, and grew up and went to Paducah Junior College, played basketball there, graduated from there, and went to work for the Paducah Power Company, which was the utility company for Paducah. And I was there for quite a few years and was plant accountant for uh, the utility company there in Paducah. In 1963, and uh, God called me to preach. Uh, it was December of 63, and uh, was married. Uh, Marilyn and I married in 57. And uh, David, our oldest, who's now a pastor, was uh, born. And, and uh, when he called me to preach, he called me to prepare. So uh, I quit my job. Went to, went to Union, Jackson, Tennessee. And Marilyn, we had our second child while there and finished Union and went directly to Midwestern Seminary. And so for the first five years out of going into the ministry, I was in full-time student ministry and part-time church work. And we were in a survival mode uh, uh, you know, when you don't have any money, you don't even have a checking account. If you've got a checking account, you've got money. Because you've got to have money to get it. So we didn't have a checking account. Because we didn't have enough money to start a checking account. But you know, God provided. And those five years were great years. And during the time I was at Union, I pastored a little church at Gates for a couple of years, and then went to Kansas City and worked as an associate. And in 1970, graduated from Midwestern and went to the first church out of seminary, the Kearney Baptist Church. And uh, I just felt like God had called me to be a church growth pastor. And I felt like if he got me to a church, that church was supposed to grow. It was supposed to grow financially. It was supposed to grow in, in, in the buildings. It was supposed to grow in numbers. 
So we got there, and uh, everybody's pretty mad at each other because the last two church pastors hadn't worked out too good, and they was going to be sure I worked out good. So the first time, some of you were laughing back there about Carney, you know about that. We moved in on Monday, and no one helped us move in. We thought, well, we're here. We're ready to go. So I prepared hard for Wednesday night. Man, I was ready Wednesday night. And two people showed up. So it kind of got started off, you know, kind of slow. But we had great seven years there. It was phenomenal. They loved me. They love me to this day. Uh, we keep in touch with that. Moved from there to Second Baptist College Park, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta right there at the airport. And uh, was seven years there. And again, we had a great ministry. It was a larger church. It was the first time I made a living pastoring. Because I'd worked on a truck dock, sold real estate. Uh, I'd done a lot of things. You know, when you got a family, what do you do? What do you do when you got a family? You provide for them. And Marilyn worked, and uh, I drove a school bus. And in, in, but when I came to, to Atlanta, I came full time, and I was 40 years old. And uh, God blessed that ministry. It was just a wonderful church. It was a suburban church. It had great facilities when I got there. And uh, we did. And then in 83, uh, just in the providence of God, I could go over how God led us to Englewood. But the reality is God did lead us to Englewood. It was a church half the size of the one I was pastoring in Atlanta. We felt called to go to Inglewood, and we got there in June of 83, and I've been there for 28 years. And God has blessed it mightily. The one thing that drove us, and I use the word us, drove me and Marilyn, my wife, never wavered one minute. She never said a critical word about, I'm on out, I want out of this. But she never felt called to it. But I felt God had called me to do this. And whatever God calls you to do, He will provide the resources, the mental resources, the spiritual resources to do it. And I felt called. I feel called to the local church ministry. To this day, I do. So, that's a background of, of uh, you know, I'm over 50 now. Y'all don't, may not think that, but I am. At, at 70 years old, uh, God clearly defined for me that I should step down as senior pastor. And this last Sunday started the uh, completed four years since I became pastor emeritus. And Ben Mandrell is doing a phenomenal job at Inglewood. And he's taking it where I couldn't and just doing a great job. And I'm there. They actually... I'm still paid. Isn't that something? I mean, they're actually paying me to stay on after retirement. Well, the guy before me is still there, and they're paying him. You know, uh, Paul Williams, who preceded me, came in, 80, came in 68, and he's on staff. And I came in 83, and I'm on staff. And we've looked it up, and no one can find a church that ever did this. So we don't know whether it's going to work or not. We'll find out in eternity, I guess. But God is blessed. Uh, I'm 
in every aspect of my life, God has always blessed me. The death of my wife was the most difficult moment in my life. And I really struggled through that. Uh, First six months, it was just deadly. But God has given me new hope, new vision, new vitality, and a new direction. I, I do three things now. I work with young pastors. I have several, quite a few of them that I do. Number two, I, I coordinate the pastoral care at Inglewood. I don't do it all, but I coordinate it. For example, yesterday, I take Friday and Saturday and Sunday. They're my responsibilities. And, you know, I've, you got funerals and those kinds of things. I coordinate that. And then I do the work overseas in Brazil. And the rest of the time, I just goof off. I want to, one thing that I think you might mention, I don't know, we may not have many here that would relate, but the pastor that you worked with uh, when you were at Midwestern or in that area that you worked under there has a connection yeah. to this church. Roger Abington, in, I was a student at uh, Midwestern and uh, called me one day, I didn't know him, he called me one day and he said, uh, you've been recommended to me and I wondered if you'd be interested in coming my associate. Well, I was, at that time, I was driving over into Kansas preaching at a church over in Olathe, Kansas. And I said, well, yeah, I'd like to talk with you about it. What, what does it involve? So I went and talked with him. And for two years, we worked together and Brother Abington and I are very close friends to this day. He took me under his wing. I did the youth work, the children's work, the preschool work. I did anything he didn't want to do. But I went to deacons' meetings, worked with budgets, the whole nine yards. And my last two years in seminary, I worked with uh, Dr. Abington and Pat. It was very close. And, uh, of course, I know the girls, those kinds of things. Yeah. It's, you know. And I spoke here, by the way, once upon a time. When I was in Atlanta, he was here. He said, won't you come and speak? So I spoke here somewhere. It would have been about, about 76, 77 along in there. I spoke in this church. It's a. We talk about how small of a world it is yeah, sometimes, and right. that and Cliff back there yelling when he yelled Carney because right. while they were while they were in Carney, Cliff's family was in the town next to it, Liberty, and uh, Cliff's mom taught Steve Jet music at the local elementary school. We figured all that after we got here, so it's a kind of a crazy right. Right. Uh, thing. Talk about Brazil for a minute. How did you? start going to Brazil? Had you been other places before you went to Brazil? And then, if, if so, why did Brazil kind of stick? Well, there's two prongs of this. In uh, 77, uh, while at Second Baptist College Park, the Southern Baptist Convention met there in Atlanta. And they asked the churches of the Atlanta area if they would invite somebody to do a revival that would close out the Sunday before the convention, that maybe evangelists especially that couldn't afford to come to the convention. So we signed up for that, 
and we were assigned Wade and Barbara Aikens. And so they came, and somehow or another, just God just intervened while we were there, and Wade and I, and his wife, his first wife, Sherry and I, Sherry and Marilyn, and Wade and I became lifelong friends. Wade Aikens is one of my closest friends to this day. I was with, I'm with him. I keep up with him. He keeps up with me. Now, were you the pastor when y'all set that up? No, I was the associate. I'd gone down there to run the youth program. They thought I could do youth. I don't know why they thought I could do youth, but we always we had a huge. We left Carney. We had a pretty good youth program, and and uh, they thought well. They, so I went down there and ran the youth program and done other things. But the pastor left right after I came, and so they asked me if I would be the senior pastor, and so. I thought, well, I, I don't know anything about him. And uh, the pastor was there, uh, Paul Mason, said, well, you can just cancel that. I said, no, we'll let him come. And he came, and we had a good revival, and it was a great revival, but we bound together. We went up. He was a, an evangelist then in Washington, D.C. We took a group of youth up there, and a relationship started. Well, fast forward, he became a missionary in Brazil. And I went to Inglewood. So that's... Now, I did a revival when I came. You know, the church gave me the right to have two revivals every year. Well, I was doing those two revivals. And it was the second year or so that I was there at Inglewood. And I was coming back from a revival back in, down in Mississippi. And the Lord clearly spoke to me that I was never to do another revival in America. That I was to do revivals overseas. Well, I'd never been overseas, except that we went to Israel in in 76. Well, the next week I went to a meeting and they were recruiting, Tennessee Baptists were recruiting pastors who would go to Venezuela. So I just went up and told the guy, I said, well, I'll go. And I went. Marilyn and I went. And uh, that was the first time I did it overseas, evangelistically, revival. And then Wade Aiken spoke at the Southern Baptist Convention when it was in, in St. Louis. And four of us went from our church, Marilyn and I and another couple. And uh, we had agreed we was going to meet with them and visit with them. And he spoke, and while he was speaking, I clearly got a call of God that I was to get involved in Brazil. So when it was over, we met out the street, and I told Wade, I said, you know, God just spoke to me that I'm to be involved in your work in Brazil. And he said, well, Phil, he said, I really need pastors like you. But what I really need, I need somebody that can build buildings, build churches. And I said, well, I... I can't build any churches. but So we just prayed, the six of us, the four that had come from Jackson, and, and prayed right on the street that if God was in it, he'd direct it. So I began to pray about that, and he prayed about it. And in January of 88, this was in 87 that he spoke, January of 88, uh, I was visiting on Monday night, which is my custom over the years, and Gary Taylor was visiting with me. He's a contractor there in Jackson. And I shared my vision with Gary, and he said, well, I'll go. 
And he said, now, I don't want to do anything evangelistic now, but I'll build churches. And so uh, I said, okay. I said, oh, now, you're serious. I said, there's a crazy man down in Brazil that thinks we can start 500 churches. And he's crazy. But, you know, God does crazy things. So we went, the four of us went, Gary and his wife, Marilyn and I, went the first time to Brazil in March of 88. And I just finished my 24th trip, and Gary has gone about 75 times. And we have now built over 500 churches in those years. We meaning we haven't done it ourselves, but churches like yours has been a part of it over these many years. And we've seen literally, well, last year we had 1,300 professions of faith, and we've probably averaged that over those 24 years. And uh, we do it. Some of you have gone. You know we have a system. We do it in. It's kind of a disorganized system, but it is a system. And uh, God's blessed it mightily. I say I I pastored Inglewood Church to make a living, but my work was really in Brazil. And I love to do it. And I speak fluent Portuguese. What's the laughing about? What's the laughing about here? Well, I want, I want it to look good. I'd hate to embarrass the rest of you. I better hush. Um, talk a little bit about the organization we go with now, uh, Pioneer Missions right. and how that developed. About 15, we, we started with the IMB. Everything we did to begin with was through the IMB. Well, the IMB resolved about 15 years ago that all churches should be indigenous, which I don't agree with. And they, we, had, we had invested over a half a million dollars in our work in Brazil by that time. And they wanted us to stop building churches. And we prayed about that and prayed about that and prayed about that. Because we felt like God was blessing it mightily. And I'm not against the IMB, by the way. I believe in the Lottie Moon offering. I give the cooperative program. But I think they've now got a new president that will go a totally different direction. And I know the former president very well. And he and I have had these conversations. So, a group of businessmen, some out of Germantown Church, some out of Inglewood Church and some out of Bellevue Church, wanted to start an organization connected to pioneer evangelism. But we couldn't decide, okay, how do you tie it to? you tie it to Goodlessville Church or Inglewood Church? And Dr. Dockery, the president of Union, said, why don't we connect it to Union University? So we now operate out of Union University, and our group is called Pioneer Mission. Everything we do is organized around Pioneer Missions. And uh, so we fund it through that. You can make donations through that. And we have businessmen that do. But primarily, everything we do, there's no employees. We, have, we hire no one. Union agreed to have an administrative uh, secretary to coordinate the financing and to be responsible in an audit-type way. 
but no one gets paid. We have a board, and we work that way, and we've worked that way for about 15 years now. And Pioneer Missions is not just in Brazil oh, no. right now. We're all at- oh, no. Wade Akins has retired from the IMB, and he is in primarily Asia and Africa. And we have a Dominican. We have a big ministry in Dominican. We have several countries. Gary and I only have been going to Brazil. Uh, but we have, we fund some, we have, a, for example, some of you know Eduardo and Roseanne, his wife. We hire them as our missionaries. They're Brazilians. And we pay them $1,000 a month. You may make less than that, but that's not a big salary. And they work 12 months out of the year working with church. We work with, right now we work with probably, in Brazil, we work with probably over 150 churches directly. And we've relocated three times. We were in Minas. We were in Minas from 89 through 01. We felt like our work and we'd come to a completion and we went to the state of Bahia. And that's where we go now. And we went to Porto Cachura, which is right on the ocean. It was the most unchurched large city they could find in Brazil. And that's where we went. We now have 70 churches there that work with Pioneer Missions. And now we've gone up into the mountains, which is the team from Goodlessville went last. No, y'all go to Portishire. We go also up in the mountains to a place called Vitoria Conquista. It's a town of about 350,000, and we work in that area as well. So what, what is, when Pioneer Missions go to Brazil, when we, we take a team there, what is Pioneer Missions doing? You mentioned Eduardo's there during the right, year. Right. What are they doing that other... Uh, 11 months when there aren't teams there in Brazil. We work with the churches 12 months out of the year. And a team that comes, your team that's coming this year, I've got a picture with the pastor and his wife that we're going to work directly with. He was one of the five pastors that agreed to work with Pioneer Missions when we came. And he's a great pastor doing a great work. Gary has preached in his church three times. I have not preached in his church. But this team that's coming will work directly with that church. We do nothing except work with churches. We work starting churches and growing churches. Now, when you see what we do, you can't get that grasp. You think, well, what? looks like you're giving away shoes and glasses and doing dental work and doing a drama and all that stuff. Really, all we're doing is drawing unchurched people and unsaved people. 6,500 we drew last year where we talked with them personally about the plan of salvation. And those of you who've done it, you know we share it in the drama. We share it after the drama. We share it when they give away a pair of shoes or a pair of glasses or do the dental. And then we take them to a prayer room and they pray over them and they pray with them, and the Brazilians do the prayer, and they get them into a Bible study if they'll do it. We had almost 2,000 of that 6,000 that agreed to get into a cell group, which is a Bible study group. So it's really 
evangelistically intended. Strengthen those churches to get them going. And they come and they'll stand in line for how long? Some of you will go, hours to get a pair of shoes. Well, we're going to give them a pair of shoes. By the way, a pair of shoes there cost $15. And we, we, they're made right there in Port Couture now. We're, we're making them right there this year. And if you want to help, buy a pair of shoes. And I'm going to tell you, when you go into the homes where those shoes go, that may be the only pair of shoes in that home. And they'll hand those shoes down from child to child to child. I'm, I'm excited about the work we do in Brazil, by the way, in case you didn't know that. In all that work you've done in Brazil, is there uh, a moment or a trip or a time that kind of stands out that you look back on and you think, you know, that was a time when the Lord, you know, the Lord works each year you're there. But is there a moment or a time or a, something that you specifically remember that stands out? Well, the, the first years we went, we were about as disorganized as you can get. And Wade, Wade and Sherry were there. And some of you, how many of you would know the name Wade Akins? Anything here? Some of you would. Well, Sherry had a disease called scleroderma. If you don't know what that disease is, it's a deadly disease. And uh, they were in our kitchen one day, Sherry and Wade, Marilyn and I. And we'd been around the kitchen table many, many times. And she was quite sick. And she said, you know, we've been around these kitchen tables, yours and mine, many times. But we never know when's the last time we're going to be around this table. And she went back to Brazil on that trip and died in Brazil. And she was a great, great, great godly prayer warrior. And Wade and I just wondered if everything was just going to stop. Just totally stop. Because he was dead in the water. Matter of fact, I said, Wade, if you need to come home, just come on to Inglewood. Go to work on staff here. We'll get, you know. And we were ready to quit the whole thing. And somehow or another out of that, God raised up even a greater ministry. And you could see it. You could understand that the prayers that had gone for so many years was there. And uh, so we just kept going. And then in 05, I quit because 06 was the toughest year of my life. And I wasn't going to go back. Uh, and didn't go in 06, 07, or 08. And was never going back. And uh, Gary said, Phil, why don't you just go with me? Spend the summer down there. And I thought, well, I can get away from everybody. I can just simply hide. So I agreed to go. And uh, we went. I hadn't been now. I hadn't been to where we went. And so the first team came, and it was methodical. It got them organized, and I'm done. They left, and the next team came. I didn't really have the spirit I needed to do this, but I was doing it. 
because I was hid away in Brazil. You, you can hide when you're lonely and you're empty. I didn't want to go to church, but I never missed. I didn't want to teach the Bible, but I taught it every week. You did some things you didn't want to do. And I, didn't want... I was walking down the hill there. Some of you know right where it is, where we built those three buildings. I was coming down that hill in 09. And I thought, well, I've got another team organized. And God spoke to me. I heard him audibly. He said, I did it. And I fell on my face right there in the street because I thought God had forgotten me. He was with me all the way. And so I got my enthusiasm back, got my zeal back, got my drive back. And, you know, I can take on any of you to work out there, you know. I don't guess I've ever told that before. You've, uh, we're going to switch gears uh, out of that a little bit. Because you've had a new experience in recent days. Yeah. Um, you went to Haiti for the first time. Right. And uh, I was going to let you share just a little bit um, about that trip and right. whether Pioneer Missions is that's on the radar for Pioneer Missions or what's kind of going on there or why you took the trip and what, what your kind of impressions were there. Well, we got an email from David Bledsoe. David Bledsoe is a IMB missionary. He is one of the best IMB missionaries we have. He used to be in Brazil. He is in Brazil. He's, in He's Brazil. still in Belo. Okay. He's in Belo Horizonte, Brazil, doing a phenomenal work. And he does pioneer evangelism. He was trained by Wade. Wade went on to be a global missionary and now works with us. And he's just grown churches and grown churches and grown churches. And uh, a guy contacted him from the Foreign Mission Board of the Brazilian Baptist Convention. And there's 70 churches that the Foreign Mission Board of the Brazilian Baptist Convention work with in Haiti. And they're in a... It's, I'll get into some of them, but most of them have lost their buildings and death has been a dominant thing. And they ask him, did he know anyone who could come and perhaps help restore some of these churches, get them back on their feet. And he said, well, he said, I do know somebody that could do that. And said, I'll see if they'll come. So he sent Gary an email. Wanted to know if we'd be willing to come to Haiti. Well, Gary contacted me, and he said, you know, I want you to go to Haiti with me. Well, I had some things this spring lined up, and I said, well, here's the dates I can go. And I'll go if you go. So we sent the word back and said, okay, we'll go, and here's some dates we can go. So that's how the trip initiated. We got down there. Uh, the IMB, the IMB, the Foreign Mission Board of the Brazilian Baptist Convention man was there. And the head of these churches, and uh, we stayed there two days. I can't explain Haiti at all. It, it's inexplainable. It's uh, beyond explanation. Uh, I have seen a lot of poverty in my life. For some reason or another, I, I, I work with a lot of poor people. I just, I've done that for years. I do it in Jackson. Uh, but I've never seen poverty like that. 
Never. Uh, and I, you, what you read, they've not exaggerated it. It's, uh, but now that's the poorest. That was one of the poorest countries in the world before the earthquake. And tents would cover this entire city. They're eight by eights, and that's where the families live. And uh, we went into those tent uh, cities, and uh, sometimes there's two to four to six to eight living in one of those eight by eight tents. And it's survival, just basically survival. Well, what we're wanting to, what they're wanting to do is to work through those 70 churches, most of which lost their buildings, to reach into those camps where millions of people live. Nineteen million people live in Haiti. It's an enormous population. You can't traffic people everywhere. So, will we do that? Will pioneer evangelism, pioneer missions get involved? Well, we're praying about that. We walked away from it thinking, you know what? Can you take a bite of this and accomplish something? Uh, interesting story. Some of you may have got the email from Gary. We went up this mountain. It's 4,000 feet in the air. I, I didn't want to go. And we just kept going up and 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 up. And we got up there and there was a community up there. And they raised chickens and goats and did their own agriculture, you know, up there. And uh, walked around and they were all gathered in the church. About 75 to 100 of them. And they were singing to the glory of the Lord. I mean, they were, and they were so glad when I came there. They, they knew Americans were coming. And, uh, you know, they glad we was there. Of course, I usher you up to the front and you just feel totally consumed. You all have padded pews. They have a pole with two ends to the thing. And it's just, a, it's just a pole about that big around. That's their pews. And they're under a tent because their building was destroyed. One of many, many. And I, we spoke, Gary said, and I did too, and spoke to them and encouraged them. And, but they encourage you more than you encourage them because it's just, they're so glad, they're so praising the Lord. I mean, they're just singing praises to the Lord, clapping all the time, raising their hands, shouting to the glory of the Lord. And they'll even do a little marching. I know you all probably don't march around this place, but that's kind of the way they do it, you know. Well, you just as well be enthusiastic about what the Lord's doing, even though you don't have anything, you know. But anyhow, so we got done, and they, want, they, get, they wanted to give me a gift. Pastor reached under the pulpit area and handed me a gift. Well, you know, you think, should you take it? What do you think it was? It was two dozen eggs. I took those two dozen eggs, and for the next three or four hours, I carried two dozen eggs in a basket. Because, you you know, you took them. Anyhow, we took them back to where we were staying. Brazilian Baptists, they've rented a house that survived, and that's where we stayed. That's how they... They've got a place for teams or uh, internationals to stay, and they cook there. So I give them to the cooks there at the place where we ate. But 
Will we be involved? I guess once you've gone, you'll always be involved. I think, I told Gary, you know, I don't know whether I'm ready to start another nation or not. I'm getting, I'm over 50. I'll be 75 this summer. But anyhow, uh, if that's what God would have me, if I, you know, you know. The amazing thing, and I have here, some of you all are studying Colossians. How many of you all are studying Colossians? Any of you? I know it's in some of the lessons. Did you study the prayer of Paul in Colossians? Is that next week? Well, I've already got it under my belt. That's one of the great prayers of Paul. He, he has every book he wrote here. But here's what is in that, just in capsule. He prayed that they would find the will of God. If I could say one thing to this church, I'd say the same thing I'd say to a church in Haiti or a church in Brazil or a church in Jackson, Tennessee. If you know God's will, go for it. Do it. It don't matter whether it's traditional or contemporary. It don't matter whether it's on Sunday or Monday. Brazil, they meet on, they don't have church Sunday morning. They have church Sunday night. I can't get used to that. Because the Bible says you're supposed to have it at 11 o'clock and some churches have stopped that. But the point I'm making is, know God's will. How do you know God's will? You know God's will when you listen to God's voice. And then, live worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, operate under His power. Because nobody's got power enough to carry out the will of God. Amen? This church ain't got any. You can't do it here. We can't do it in England. can't do it in Brazil. can't do it in Haiti. But in God's power, you can do it. That's that prayer. And I've thought about that in connection with Haiti, in connection with Brazil, because I just studied it while I was over there. I was hoping I was going to get you in that stool all night, but you, you got up and got your friendship points out. That's good. I just wish we would have had those eggs for the blue dolphin last year. There you go. For the golden right, dolphin. right. <laughs> We we couldn't we couldn't get the Brazilians to cook eggs for us last year. We're going year. to be in the Tropical this year, by the way. That's where I stayed uh, two nights this week. Brazilians don't know and how to cook Gary eggs. And Gary wants bacon in the eggs. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, anyhow, yeah. But I want to say, if I, you're getting out of close. Thank you for being a part of the work of Pioneer Missions. It is an expensive trip to go. And if some of you don't go, give to one that does. Be a part of it. Be a prayer partner with one. Volunteer to do it. Say, I want to be your prayer partner. And it's, it's not an easy trip. It takes, you know... Sometimes it takes longer than it should, but it takes at least 24 hours to get there. And, but the reality is, it is a place. All right. 
when Southern Baptists started to work in Brazil, about 85 years ago now, give or take 10 years, they could not, Baptists could not buy a piece of property in Brazil because the Roman Catholic Church would not lend us. True story. So they went out of the city, out in the country, and bought a piece of property. Today, there is one of the best schools in Brazil that was started by the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And that's where our missionaries live. Now, the burden I have is we're leaving the harvest fields. That's what I was talking about to begin with. But I'm telling you, your missionaries still do a great work, a phenomenal work. You need to get some administrative things organized, but I'm telling you, them missionaries hit it and do a great, great, great work. But we have a great heritage. My dad and mom fought for the cooperative program. We take it for granted now. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. And it's done a great work. And I'm for it. But volunteer missions because of our transportation and and technology, we can all go somewhere on mission. Just find out where God wants you to go. We live in a new day, technology. I mean, I got a computer in my pocket. That's crazy. I shouldn't be even having a computer. I'm too old for computers. But I'm seeing... Technology and travel have allowed to it shrunk the world. Right, anybody got any questions? We got a few minutes left. If you've got questions about Brazil or ministry in general or Susan as a child, whatever you would like to ask. <laughs> no, that's off limits. No, that's not. That off would limits. get. That would Mary, get. Susan's not. Susan's not in that, here. That would get. Oh, there she is. Oh. She's here. No, it's off limits. It's that off w- limits. It's off limits. That would get two of us in trouble tonight. That's All off right. limits. That's <laughs> off limits. I didn't see her sitting back there. So, anybody got questions? Want to ask? Yeah. We had two hundred, and uh, Susan was born there. She was born in actually Smithville. We were residents of Kearney. She was born in September before we went to Atlanta in November. When we went to Atlanta, I had a senior in high school, a sixth grader, and a three-month-old baby. And we got things loaded in a truck, and away we went 800 miles. Let me tell you, you wives, let me tell you what. Many pastors' wives won't do that. I was married to a great, great, great lady. She never wavered. She didn't want to go to Atlanta. She didn't want to go to Kearney. She didn't want to come to Jackson. But she'd pray through that thing. Seek the Lord in it. And away we'd go. So, the number one person, if you're married, the number one person in your life is your mate. Let me tell you how I rank. My call from God, personally, my call to my family, secondly. And then the call to my ministry, thirdly. Don't ever get them mixed up. Don't ever get them mixed up. And God has... But I, I'm just... God, you don't call everybody to be a church growth pastor. 
but I am. That's what God called me to do. And, and, and a mover. You're a pretty good mover. Oh. You've moved some people. <laughs> Last time I moved somebody, I swear I'll never do it again, you know. Yeah. We, and they want to move on the hottest day of the year, <laughs> 100 degrees, and they want to rent a U-Haul truck or one of these trucks and want me to drive the thing. When we moved to Ripley. Yes. The Bill came down to help us move. He had had knee surgery, two or three or four weeks out, something like that. About two or three weeks out. From knee surgery. And uh, I was limping because I wasn't needing limp, but I limped, making think I couldn't drive the truck. Couldn't lift those boxes, drive the truck. And it it was it was a cool move. It was only about ninety when we moved. Oh yeah. Yeah. When we moved, when we moved to Texas. Tell him about getting that truck. When we moved to Texas. Now, the first, when we moved to Texas, is 106 the day we unloaded. Uh, but we, we, got, we went to get the, the U-Haul, and uh, we had, I'd reserved the U-Haul a week and a half in advance because he couldn't drive. I can't drive a stick. Uh, I've just never driven a automatic stick. Automatic shift, what you want. So I, I got an automatic shift. That's what I got. Uh, went, to, went to pick it up, and they said, well, we don't have your truck here. And I felt like there's a Seinfeld episode where he goes to get his reservation. They say, we don't have the car. He goes, well, what's the point of a reservation if the car is no longer here? That's the way I felt. The truck's not here. I said, well, when's the truck going to be here? They said, two more days. Right. And I said, well, that's not going to work. we got to move. Right. You know? right. And they said, well, we got a truck that you can drive, but it's a stick shift, and the air conditioner doesn't fully work. And I said, well, I can't drive a stick. And he just had surgery and can't drive. And they said, well, we'll let you take it on the back lot and try it out a little bit. Now, now we're talking about the biggest truck U-Haul has. And so Phil ended up driving <laughs> through Arkansas in the truck that it wasn't just the air conditioner didn't work on it. We could not Nothing have, worked on it. <laughs> we, could, we could not have a conversation because the engine was so loud and we were sitting right next to each other. We just, I read and we just looked at each other and hope, no, going. hope nothing broke. Yep. So my dad met us in West Memphis, Arkansas, drove the rest of the way. But let me tell you, there's nothing greater than pastoring a church. It's the greatest calling you can have. It's greater than being a missionary. It's the greatest calling God can call you to. And if any of you young people, God calls you to preach. He's calling you to the highest calling there is. And He will care for you. He will provide for you. He will nurture you. Back to Carney. Guy comes to me and said, Phil, why don't you build a house? You know Porter's there? I said, you got to understand, I don't have any money. I can't build a house. He said, yes, you can. He said, I'll provide everything you need for the house. He said, you go down to the bank and they'll loan you the money. I went down there and they loaned me $20,000 to build that house. So I saved two weeks of vacation in one year had two weeks of vacation next year and we built that thing by hand and had a guy to help me keep it straight we had $20,000 in it when we sold it leaving Carney, it sold for cash $40,000 I had $20,000 I had never had any money in my life and I felt like that was just a gift from God 
It honors me. Go into that place. God will take care of you. Let me tell you what. If you're where God would have you to be, doing what God would have you to do, God will take care of you. God will take care of you. We were in one of those deals and ran into a preacher, preacher boy. He was a young guy. Living in one of them eight bays. He had his Bible. He was telling everybody about Jesus. Living in an eight by eight with a dirt floor, no water. I have a seventh grader that lives next door to me with my son's daughter. And her job in the, in the house is to do the dishes. Well, she's got a dishwasher. If you've got a dishwasher, putting dishes in a dishwasher and taking dishes out of a dishwasher. What if you lived in an eight by eight and you had no water and you had to walk a half a mile to the water to scrub them out? It's scary how much we have. I said, if you've got a garage door opener, you're among the one half of one percent of the most wealthy people in the world. And I've got one. And we need to say, we've got more than we need and God can use in mighty ways the resources we have. And if we do in His will, He'll provide the resources. I retired and God, you know, in retirement, He provides, I've got a, I've got a car it's just two years old it's a good car I live in a nice house what I'm saying to you be involved in this local church and let me say this every member is what what is it every member is a minister I preached that from 64 till I stepped down and I ask you the question what is your ministry in this church How's it going? Have you got those five names in your pocket that you're trying to reach with the gospel? Are you praying about them? Are you committed to seeing them through to salvation? We shouldn't do anything in Haiti and Brazil we don't do here. Good to be with you. All right. We're going to pray. All right. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for tonight. I thank you for... Phil, Lord, I thank you just personally for the opportunity that I have to be a part of his family and to see you work in his life and to see the testimony that he gives to you. Lord, I'm thankful for the ministry that you've given him for these years and for the way that you have blessed him in being able to see you move in such a mighty way. Lord, we pray that as a church and as individuals, we will be constantly in search of your will and obedient to what we know to be true. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.